So I've been thinking a lot about this, and, and you know you know that's going to be weird, so here we go. It's important in life to do what is inside you. That's why you're hearing things like this right now, okay? You're either curious, or you're someone who loves innovation, or you're always trying to learn a little bit more, and you know what? I'm not limited by my work which I am passionate about, or my clients, I love them, but I'm not limited by them. I think that makes me a better contributor to helping them reach their goals because I see more, I learn more, and I'm interested in more. More for me and more for them. I am put on this planet to help people, and that's what I am committed to. I'm not limited and neither are you. I want you to know that. Welcome to our Wednesday live event, Innovation in Audio. My name is Lloyd Ford with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. Higher ratings are not a mystery, they're a practice, and it's what we do. Our music lab prevents music drift. Our morning show fame development coaching puts the accent and the action in the right places to build opportunity for robust ratings growth. Clients like our branding candy, specifically because it focuses your images on your local market and separates you sharply from competitors in a great way. Ask us about encouragement too. It's one of our services. If you know somebody who's looking for fresh answers in their market and new paths to success, we'd love to help. Reach out anytime, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. This live event is part of a podcast series called the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast and will become available within about an hour, if not before, of the end of this live event, wherever you get your podcast. That's also where you'll find our archive, by the way. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. Today, October 13th, 2021, we're going to visit with Patrick Bangert who is the VP of Artificial Intelligence at Samsung SDS San Jose, California, and Shasta Lynn McKellis, who is the PD at Cumulus's KSAN 107.7, The Bone in San Francisco, California. Kind of a California thing we're doing here. Before we get started with our current guest, I do want to give you a quick preview of what is coming next week on Innovation and Audio Wednesday, October 20th. We will have Leslie Armstrong. Now, listen up. She is a social media strategist with stream companies in Nashville, Tennessee. And you know that market is very robust with lots of social media activity, a big hub for that. We're going to ask her some really interesting questions about social media, about strategy, about how she got in that lane, about what she's learned. And you are going to learn too if you want to show up on Wednesday nights. This is what we do on innovation and audio. See our upcoming guest calendars. We have two of them because we have two live events every week in our free blog section at rainmakerpathway.com 
While you're there, you will also find free encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series. And for local sellers, radio sellers, they get even more encouragement with our encouraging sales success series, as well as free resources for anyone in the radio business today. We do not lock away anything on our site the way some consultants do. So go to RainmakerPathway.com anytime, 24-7. See what you can get for free from our team. Let's talk to today's guest right now. Our very first guest is Patrick Bangert. Now, he is, I want you to kind of hold on to this because I'm going somewhere really kind of heavy. This is the intimidating part of tonight's event, at least for us that are math challenged. He's the VP of Artificial Intelligence at Samsung SDS. Now, here are things that he spends his time thinking about and talking about. He talks about AI, artificial intelligence, clearly. Energy, data science, machine learning, and of course, are you are you ready for this? I, I think you should be prepared. He is the leader and the public face of the global AI efforts at Samsung SDS, encompassing both AI engineering, software development, AI sciences consulting. He's the visionary of the future of AI within the Samsung corporate ecosystem. Now, he's also the director of data science and AI projects spanning use cases like computer vision, natural language processing, time series analysis, and risk modeling in the context of many industry verticals, including, listen to this, retail, manufacturing, healthcare, and automotive. Whew, come on, baby. Patrick, welcome to the Encouragers and our Innovation and Audio live event on Clubhouse. How are you, sir? Thank you very much for having me on the show. You make it sound so much more glamorous than it is what I do every day. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, I, look, my wife is in the music business, and and we kind of find this interesting. People always think, oh, man, she's in this glamorous job. You know, she gets to go backstage all the time. And I'm like, uh, you, you know what backstage is, right? And they go, oh, yeah, it's where all the action is. I go, no, it's where the garbage cans are. That's what's going on. There's a lot of pressure in the job. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure in your job, right? Oh, there certainly is, yeah. Oh, yeah. So listen, I'm going to get right to it. You you have a lot of scary things in your past for us non-math-loving mortals, and you know what I mean. I, I kind of want people to understand who it is we're talking to right now on Innovation and Audio. So you have a Doctor of Philosophy, PhD in Applied Mathematics, a background in IT project management with Sun Microsystems, and a Diploma in Information Technology Project Management and Master in Science Physics from University College London, University of London. Plus, uh, I'm going to try to say this right, you have a Master in Tibetan uh, Psychology and Philosophy. So uh, this all begs a question. Was all of this an intentional path? In other words, what, was this more of a journey where one degree led you to another? And can you tell us about your path in education? What drove these different accomplishments? Because they surely are an interest. And finally, how do you use this education in the work you're doing today? Yeah, well, it's been uh, definitely a journey. 
uh, rather than, than pre-planned. I'm not sure anybody's life is really planned out like that. Um, but um, I spent my childhood in Asia, uh, so I had you know early encounters with um, all sorts of major religions, um, and that's why I very early on got interested in Buddhism. Uh, and that's how I then, many years later, ended up with a master's degree in Tibetan philosophy. Um, but uh, my major career path uh, was always around understanding how the world works, and that's why I signed up for a physics degree. Uh, initially, then uh, by doing some summer internships, uh, trying to uh, get some work experience and earn some money, I figured out that the laboratory experiments that are usually involved in, in a physics degree weren't my thing. Uh, to be blunt, they just didn't work out. Um, so I got frustrated. Um, always much, much more interested in the theory of it. Um, and so mathematics is really the language of how the world works, the language of physics, the language of engineering. Um, just like you might learn Spanish or French, um, I learned math uh, in order to communicate um, with technology, with the world, and figure out more about how it does. And that was much more my skill set. And in the modern day, um, Artificial intelligence is really the, the expression of mathematics uh, with our fellow human beings um, and, uh, you know, trying to automate large parts of the world. So I got involved with that relatively early on before it was so well known, so hyped up as it is nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, I had my own startup company, which did well, and then Samsung picked me up from there. And so... I've been uh, I've been in charge of the AI division since then. It's really interesting, you know. The, uh, some people say that that mathematics is the only true universal language. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would. I would definitely say so. Yes. Well, it's kind of the building blocks of of what makes everything tick, if you will. Please share with us. For now, remember. You know, we don't all have this educational background you have, Patrick. <laughs> so would you please share with us an elevator pitch about the work that you can talk about that you're doing with Samsung SDS so that we kind of understand where you are right now? Yeah, so I will I will couch that in an example. Um, OK, uh, so let's let's imagine for a moment that you don't feel very well and that you go to your doctor um, complaining about some stomach pain or, or whatever, um, then what they might do is they might take, uh, you know, an ultrasound scan of your abdomen to, to look what's wrong with you. Uh, that will result in a, in a video recording of the ultrasound images, which are kind of fuzzy black and white things, um, kind of hard to interpret. They might see something, uh, something wonky. Um, then they might take a biopsy from that area of, of your body, send it to the laboratory. Um, eventually, that comes back with a diagnosis. You know, you might have cancer or not or what have you. This entire process from end to end will take two to three months. Uh, during that time, you will uh, you'll be anxious, right? You'll be wondering what, no what's doubt. going on. Um, so artificial intelligence... Um, analyzes images like this, like the ultrasound image or like the microscopic image that you get from that biopsy that we took um, and will deliver you instantaneously the 
diagnosis. And it will do that with a much higher degree of accuracy than any individual human doctor would be capable of, um, giving you, first of all, uh, a, a you know three-month uh, less anxiety. It will give you a three-month head start on your treatment plan, and it will give you more security in terms of the risk attached to the di that diagnosis in terms of false positive, false negative kind of a thing. Those are the kind of systems that we build at SAMHSA. I really find this fascinating because the more I listen to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, it'll make me sound really smart here. The more I listen to people like you, here's what it seems like is happening on the innovation curve in your area. People are working on how do I make the process faster, more efficient, uh, 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 better for people, right? That, that seems to be where the action is. Is that fair to say? The value of artificial intelligence, regardless of the industry, I don't care, from, from retail to healthcare and, and anything in between, is really in three different areas. Um, the first and foremost definitely is automation. Right. Doing something that human beings do faster um, and therefore cheaper. The second value is uh, in accuracy, doing whatever it is that the humans did with a higher degree of accuracy and thereby delivering some value, like we said in the healthcare. And the third is a new business model that didn't exist before. Um, right. So these artificial intelligence methods that are currently deployed on shopping websites like Amazon, on streaming services like Netflix that suggest you to do things and so on, they enable a, a kind of membership ecosystem business model that didn't exist 10 years ago. And that has been tremendously successful for a variety of companies. There are some companies like Uber and Airbnb that completely rely on that ecosystem business model. Um, so those are the three things that AI really delivers in terms of value. Everything else is technicalities. So I'd like to get all the scary stuff out front so we can get to the more fun questions. You're on the you're a board member in big data at Rutgers University. Talk to us about big data. How is it used and what are the concerns and the benefits of big data to the United States, to individuals and others in the future? Right. So one of the confusing things about vocabulary is really that big data, artificial intelligence, machine mm -hmm. learning, deep learning, and so on are all really fancy words for more or less the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. Every expert in the topic has their own little pet definition of where the one ends and the other one begins, but they're all different. Uh, they're all technical and they're difficult to understand for, uh, you know, non-experts. So right. for all intents and purposes, if you read something in the Wall Street Journal that includes any one of these words, it's talking about the same thing. That is um, interesting. So if you take a certificate program in big data from Rutgers University, for example, like we're, we're talking about here, um, it's a one-week uh, educational program full-time uh, by which you get uh, taught about some of the basic ideas on what artificial intelligence is. Um, of course, a large foundation of that is the data that's being extracted from whatever process we're talking about. Again, mm -hmm. healthcare it would, it would be images, 
Because um, data's roadmap, right? Data data tells you where to go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So in, in retail, it'd be time series, for example, you know, who bought what at what time. Right. Um, and uh, then you have to go figure out some sort of pattern. And that pattern then lets you do either a forecast or get people to behave in a different way. Um, and that's what you learn in these programs. Uh, you can take an entire degree, takes a long time, then you learn details, or you can take these certificates, which are much shorter and really are more managerial organizational in nature early. Interesting. So, so talk to us about working in artificial intelligence, because it does, I mean, I love, I love your language. You're like, okay, let's get past the mystery of all this. What do we not know about how artificial intelligence may impact our lives in five years or 10 years? What, what do you see coming? Right. So, I mean, the autonomous vehicle is a foregone conclusion. Um, it is. Technologically, it's that's going to happen. Is that what you're saying? It's going to happen because they have trouble, right? With the lines and the roads and the, don't they? Um, actually, no, no, they don't. Not, not anymore. Oh, really? The, the oh. field is developing oh. um, at a rapid pace. So as far as the technological capability is concerned, uh, autonomous vehicles are already here. Um there are a few little fringe cases like a non-paved dirt road in the mountains or something that it might not be able to handle. Um, but everything that you and I typically drive on um, is, is perfectly taken care of. The thing that's missing is production of these vehicles at a large scale that you can you know, pick up at every store. Absolutely. Um, that will come in three to five years. And of course, part of that, the new business model, for, that I'm talking about for autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. is the driverless taxi uh, bringing us to the point where the taxi service is so cheap that you no longer need to own a vehicle of your own. And that is going to be the step change. I, I'll um, tell you what that makes me wonder about. What happens to car insurance, like automobile? What, I mean, because that's, that's a whole disruption, is it not? Actually, that's the unsolved problem of autonomous vehicles. It's the <laughs> legal regulatory issue. Oh, yeah. um, who is liable for what, uh, in what scenarios, right? Um, I mean, nothing is 100% safe. Somebody at no, some right. point is going to die. Who right. is responsible for that? That's the big, big question. And that has to be answered by every government separately throughout the world. And so that's going to lead to some complication. But that has nothing to do with artificial intelligence. That's, that's legal work. So, but that's this right. will come. In the next three to five years, you will encounter more and more autonomous vehicles. Um, and uh, they, they, they may become the majority in maybe a, a, a decade or two. Let's talk about this. You, you know, I was so happy that, you know, because I started doing research on you and I started I started looking around into what's going on with you. And it clearly I picked up a, a bunch of Asia. Right. And so, you know, my question for you originally before you said this, I spent my childhood over there was you have a lot of experience in China and in Thailand. Uh, um, what is the difference in working in those environments and countries and with those folks uh, then working, say, in the United States, if you will? Well, uh, the culture is very different. Um, People behave differently. Um, Apart from that, 
it's really quite similar. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we should be thinking about countries like that anymore as the quote unquote third world. Um, right. They, they are uh, just as well educated um, as we are. Technologically, they have access to the same resources that we do. Um, so they are completely on par with us, uh, certainly in the domain of AI. Um, China actually is one of the driving forces alongside Silicon Valley for AI. So it's definitely um, uh, an, an exciting journey. The difference is cultural, uh, that people are, are, are different um, in the sense that Asians tend to be um, much more polite, much more forgiving. Um, mm. they, 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 they tend to have uh, less of a border between professional life and personal life. So you very quickly find yourself invited to family events um, uh, and, and, and for dinners at homes and things like that. Mm. Um, on the other hand, they are much more, um, much more of a workhorse. Um, so uh, schedules tend to be uh, tomorrow rather than next week. Um, so there, mm. there is more of a rush to get things done. Interesting. You always hear that about the United States, but this is an interesting new bubble, if you will. So, so look, obviously we love innovation. We're innovation and audio, and we love to talk to experts outside of what we call our typical lane, where it's easier for us to get our eyes on true innovation. Can you tell us, because I saw, I saw this in your stuff. What is digital energy? Am I help? Help a brother out. What is that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so digital energy is basically a, a short phrase for digital transformation in the energy industry. Okay. Um, the energy industry, again, is a bit of a flexible term. Um, it refers a, a great deal to oil and gas, um, of course, and then the associated power generation. So the transference uh, into electricity. Um, and thereby, of course, it includes the renewable energy sources of solar and wind and water and things like that. Um, it includes things like heat generation, largely from natural gas, of course. Right. Uh, so things like that. How to digitize these these areas. And um, I've done some work with, with energy and oil companies in digitizing the operations to extract oil and gas from, uh, from the planet. Um, how to transport it correctly, how to transform it into electricity, mm -hmm. how to transform it a prop properly into heat. Um, or, of course, the usual petrochemical processes of how to transform raw uh, oil into gasoline or into other chemical products. And I, I think you know, many of us are unaware that actually most of the human-made materials and goods do include a significant uh, chunk of things that were once upon a time crude oil. Mm -hmm. That's correct. And I'm sure if you're doing all that work, you also are focused on efficiency of movement because when you transport energy, isn't there something, there's a, there's a challenge in losing part of that energy, correct? Oh, yes. Um, if you transport anything or convert anything into another form, you lose uh, a little bit of it. 
Mm, interesting. I know that that is that's probably one of those math things because it's true about every change that you make in life. You're going to lose a little bit of something. Listen, you you're such a fascinating guy. You spent over three years working as a researcher for NASA. You also worked. Uh, for the Los Alamos National Laboratory, no matter where we work, we know that institutions are not really traditionally places that are known for innovation, if you will. Can and does innovation happen inside institutions in your experience? Is it difficult to work on true innovation in these kinds of environments? Um, no, it's not difficult at all. Um, really? So, uh, in in fact, um, I mean, if you look at, you know, Los Alamos National Lab or any other national lab or, you know, the Jet Propulsion Lab at NASA, these are institutions that are government uh, run, but they have the explicit charter of innovation. Um, and they innovate a, a great, great deal. Um, I mean, obviously, we have... T taken a few steps backwards from the initial NASA glory days with the moonshot program. Uh, right. But a, a very large number of technologies that have impacted our everyday life have come out of uh, spaceflight programs um, that, that develop technologies that are important for astronauts, but now they're in, in the house, right? Teflon-coated right. frying pans and Velcro, you know, sounds uh, pretty pedestrian, but they uh, were innovations as part of the uh, the Moonshot program. So these institutions do do innovation for a living. They are, of course, bureaucratic because they're large. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, you and I tend to maybe read things about like Apple that got founded in a garage with two guys tinkering oh, around. Sure. sure. That's the modern day. Um, and innovation can take place because, you know, one person or, or a couple of people have a brilliant idea and somehow manifest it into a product. But there are plenty of innovative things that cannot be done by a couple of people. It needs hundreds uh, of people. Oh, yeah. um, and then you need an institution with organizations and bureaucracy and a couple of accountants. Um, oh. And one of those institutions, of course, is Samsung, uh, for whom I work Absolutely. nowadays. We do have much larger teams um, and we do get a lot of innovation done that, again, could, could not be done in a garage with two guys. Well, and I'm going to say to your point, uh, today I was listening to the founder of Moderna. And he was talking about uh, some things that he's involved in and how, you know, traditionally you think of innovation and you think of the two guys in the garage, you know, he goes, but a lot of times that's not necessary. And in fact, it's what you're saying that sometimes you need a big team because uh, you're working on big brain things, if you will. So, so, okay, to be fair, my mentor who is hanging out on this live event right now uh i ask him uh he uh is also into math it uh a philosophy innovator uh he and i talked about you and he is interested in your view on this so this is really his question for you and because he and i know each other i have an opportunity to pick his brain about this and then yours as a result of this you talk about the role of domain knowledge and change management in the success of ai application 
How do you get technology experts to collaborate with domain and change management experts? In, in other words, don't these require different backgrounds and skills? Would would this work uh, differently in market issues such as branding that, that than it does, let's say, in process innovation? Yeah, this is a, a good, good question. And in, in fact, um, as, as a preamble, about nine out of 10 AI projects that are engaged in by anybody in any industry fail to deliver economic value. And the reason in almost all of these cases is change management. Uh, it's not technology. It's not mathematics. It's not software. It's change management. Um, uh, and change management really consists of, of two major areas. One is that domain expertise you were referring to. The, right. the AI people generally know AI very well, but not the domain. Um, so again, if we're talking about healthcare, for example, AI experts like me are not doctors. So to figure out, is this thing cancer or not? Is it you know, malignant or benign? We have to ask doctors about that. We have to get them to give us the, the knowledge or the insights in some structured form that we can code it up in models. Mm -hmm. um, and that conversation is absolutely essential. So the involvement of domain experts is crucial. And there are many, many AI initiatives that either explicitly don't include the domain experts or that, that accidentally don't take it seriously enough. And then, then they fail because then they, they train patterns that are irrelevant um, or they, they, they you know, emphasize as, as crucial certain things that to any domain experts are perfectly obvious. The second aspect of change management is that you have to convince the intended end user to actually use your product, which involves um, their willingness to change their everyday actions and involves their trust. They have to trust you that whatever gimmick you developed actually works and makes their life somehow better. So again, let's go to the healthcare example. If I deliver a software that can automatically detect cancer, that's pretty useful. But in order for it to actually be useful, doctors have to trust that the system works, mm -hmm. uh, that it works accurately and well, and I have to convince them. Not only that, it has to fit into the workflow of the doctor's everyday life. Not only does it have to be a nice AI model, but it has to have the right interface with the right buttons. It has to run in a, in a certain context of the electronic medical record and, and so on and so forth. And I need to know about that in order to develop it. And once I've developed it, I need to then converse a lot with these people to build that trust. And again, a lot of AI projects fail to budget enough time and enough money in the, in the literal budget to convince the end user group that what you did was a good thing for them, for them to be able to actually make use of it. And so change so, management so, is the central problem. 
So I'm going to interpret that as for those of us who like to participate in innovation, we have to get our story together and tell a really good story that fits in with the model of the direction people can go or can feel good about going or we're going to have trouble, right? Right. So if, if, you're, if you're a domain expert and you want an AI person to develop a model for you, you basically have to take that AI person by the hand and mm -hmm. put them through a little two, three day internship like you would a high school student who doesn't know anything about your area and teach them. Right. Right. That's right. All right. So just one more note about something that you said in there. I heard this about Thomas Edison today. He said that he did not fail 10,000 times. He proved 10,000 times what wasn't the answer to different things. So, so I think attitude plays a really good role for people in these things as well. Wouldn't you say, Patrick? It does for sure. Uh, I mean, Edison nine out of 10 had... times, if you're, if you're failing, right, you have to, you have to think about what that means. Yes, absolutely. Now, Edison had a tremendous advantage. Um, he had a large fortune. He could afford yes. to uh, fail a lot of times and keep going. A lot of us, um, you know, if we're talking about the venture world, uh, startups and so on, we can afford to fail perhaps once um, mm. at, at a stretch, maybe twice. Uh, but if you fail more often than that, you'll be out of money. Is that is that true working for somebody like Samsung as well? I mean, there's so much pressure to be right. Uh, there, there is there's certainly a lot, a lot of pressure to be right. Um, mm -hmm. And um, you you do need to make a very, very strong case that you'll be successful very early on in your process. So essentially, before yeah. you have any results, you need to guarantee that you'll have good results, which is impossible. But Crazy. that's that's <laughs> the usual uh, a corporate environment, and everybody knows that. So you have to hedge your bets. Right. If you generate a reputation for, in the end, delivering it. So if if you you know if you've done five projects and four of them turned out successful, then you have a pretty good reputation. If you come with the idea number six, you'll be okay. That's right. But if you, people if believe you develop it. a reputation for failure, then after three or four ideas, you'll be asked to go home. Nobody likes to go home. So I got a final question for you before we uh, shift things around a little bit. Let's talk about innovation for the rest of us. How can we all get ready for change, innovation, the rapid coming of technology? Surely we're in, in what I call the technology or the innovation century. Uh, changes in technology and the, the rapidity of it that is already happening uh, we're already seeing this in our lives, but it, I believe it'll become more intrusive and faster as the 21st century continues to roll out. How do we prepare for that? Is there a way? Yeah, this is this is truly challenging, I think, on the psychology uh, of people. So um, I still grew up and went to high school in an environment that had no Internet and no mobile phones. Um, and nowadays, we, we of course, do. Um, so it's a, it's a huge transition. And I, uh, I, I recall the, the, the novel by, by Dan Brown, uh, where, where effectively he, he said that the human species is going to be extinct in one generation. 
Um, and we will have a new species, namely the, the unification of the human and the mobile phone uh, that basically makes us a kind of uh, centaur, a, a hybrid between a biologic and a digital entity. I've seen uh, some of these it, people already. It, it gives us superpowers, right? We can, mm-hmm. uh, we can do things at a distance and, and, and we always know where we are and things like that. Um, it, it's truly very powerful, but the, the speed of change is great and the speed mm-hmm. of life that it engenders is really great. So um, my answer to that is really um, old school. Um, I, as, as we discussed in the beginning, I'm, I'm, I'm Buddhist. I have a Tibetan philosophy background. So my answer to this really is meditation. Um, that I within myself can calm myself down, can find my root and my center in my humanity. Um, and at least for an hour every day, extract myself from the stressful, highly digital age that requires me to respond on five different sh- short text messaging services and, and whatnot mm-hmm. to uh, to calm down a little bit. We, we have to cope. And it's really not natural, right? We're, we're biologically, we're hunter-gatherers. And, and, right. and now we, we, we live on technology. So we have to occasionally step back. Well, and you know, we're the encouragers over here. I actually do what you're talking about through prayer and uh, and reading scripture, but I totally understand what you're saying. Uh, Patrick, I want to thank you for joining us on Innovation and Audio. I hope you'll stick around in case uh, some of our listeners might have some questions for you after our second interview. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Thank you. All right. If you haven't subscribed to the Encouragers Innovation on Audio podcast, you are really already missing out on great content every single week. You already should know that we have a growing archive in our podcast shows uh, that are just sitting there for you. You won't believe what you'll hear that will improve actually the value of your career and maybe your life. While you're listening to this live event, make sure that you have joined the Encouragers here on the Clubhouse app. And uh, please do share what we you're doing with friends in radio and audio. Follow the people on stage tonight. Look around the room and connect with others. A big part of encouraging you in your career, of course, is helping you to engage in networking. Find out what our guests are going to talk about every single week, including hacks to make your career better and certainly more innovative by subscribing to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast. We have great guests and insight every single week, so there's nothing to worry about there. Uh, you can meet our guests live on Clubhouse or subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing. We actually have two podcasts, the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast and the Encouragers the Radio Rally podcast. Both are on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Skip Dillard from WBLS and Hot 97 actually came up with the idea for innovation and audio. Skip started us down this lane, actually, um, because we really got together and we started talking about innovation and how we didn't want to get that from the usual suspects in radio and audio only. So we wanted to kind of cast our net a little wider. We try to get innovative guests every single week for this event. I think we're doing pretty good in that area. Skip is out this week. We are extremely uh, uh, fortunate to have Corey Dillon from 100.7 Big FM in San Diego filling in as our co-host. Corey, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. And what 
you know, DJs and, and radio personalities and radio people lack in uh, Edison's money we made up for in, in starvation. We had the top ramen diet for Lord knows how well, long. There, right? There's that whole other side of us. You've got a great guest for us on innovation and audio this week, don't you? I do. And, you know, I, I first became aware of Chastelin because we were both working for Cumulus at the time. She spent a great deal of her uh, career on the West Coast, where I'm originally from, but I've, I've spent the last... 17, 18, 19, 20 years in, on the East Coast. And, uh, and we were working at the same time for Cumulus. And Cumulus has its own, uh, I don't even remember what it's called right now, but it's its own like Facebook. It's its weird. I mean, it's Forrestbook, no, right? Yeah. I mean, as if that's not <laughs> hilarious enough. And so, and so Chast has been at 1077 The Bone. Um, and I'm sure I followed her on Instagram where I really started to kind of learn that she's this great rock chick lives this like healthy lifestyle. She's a runner. She's got an adorable son. And then the next thing you know, this summer, she's named PD of her station, which she's also a part of the morning show, Lamont and Tonelli. They've been on for over 30 years and she hosts a podcast. She does middays. She produces and hosts a TV show. I mean, the woman is doing it all right now. And to top it off, she's just so super busy. I just wanted to say, Chasta, thank you for taking the time here uh, today to join My us. My pleasure. Because I just know, girl, you're going to have so much to add, um, you know, just coming through and, and hopefully one day out of a pandemic. Now, before joining Lamont and Tonelli in 2012, I know that you were working for Metro Networks in San Francisco and you spent four years uh, working for Westwood One as a talent. But you really got your start by calling a radio station. Mine's like the boring, you know, internship college radio trajectory. I want you to tell that story because I think that's a a great way for us to to sort of get into like who you are. Yeah. So uh, back in the day when I was in college, uh, my mom was getting married to my now stepdad and I wanted to throw her a bachelorette party, but I wanted to throw her something different. And I wanted to take her to her very first rock concert, which was going to be Aerosmith. And so I called up a uh, radio station, legendary radio station, Rock 100.5, The Cat in Oklahoma City. And I talked to the DJ, uh, Greg Zubek, who is still there, by the way. And this is 20 years ago. Um, and he and I just hit it off like old friends and I made him laugh and he offered me an internship right over the phone. And I said, of course. And so I went in the next day and they offered me this internship and I lied (laughs) and I told them that I would get credit for it at my university, no problem. And then I promptly went home and created letterhead and created a (laughs) curriculum And uh, totally forced my way into this internship because there was no way I was not uh, going to take it. So that's that's how it worked out. I called up for Aerosmith tickets and got an internship and and well, a career in radio, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, because eventually they started putting you on the air. I mean, did you seek that out? I'm guessing. Well, it's funny because I got this internship in a very strange way. And then um, I feel like this is sort of the more typical part of the story. One day. Somebody doesn't show up for work and I'm the only person left standing in the building and my boss yeah. comes over and he said, say something. And I turned around and I handed the papers to him and I said, do you want these? And he goes, that'll work. And he drags me into this legendary, you know, 50,000 watt station ever. You can hear it across the state. Everybody I've ever known listens to this radio station. And this is the middle of a weekday, by the way. Yeah. And he's like, here's how you stop the music. Here's the microphone. Go. And he walks out of the room and I, of course, threw up in the trash can. And then 
I got my stuff together and I went on and I was terrified. I was literally trembling, um, but that was it. And from that moment on, I was like, oh, this is, this is it. It's on. <laughs> I'm never going back to anything else. Right. I mean, that, that had to obviously, that obviously made an impact on you. I mean, did that, Yeah. does that sort of ring true in your brain every time that there is like another opportunity that you, that you're always getting ready for something or. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm kind of a hellbent personality. Once I see something that I want, there is no other way. It will happen. I will make it happen. You know, if the door closes, there's got to be a window or a side door or maybe a tunnel I can figure out. There's always a way. And that's how I've been since I was a little girl. And it has applied to anything, like you mentioned in my introduction, whether it's health and fitness or, you know, whatever. I just, I always push for what I want. And, and it served me well in this industry. Well, and that's, that's interesting though, because, you know, from what I've read, you didn't necessarily seek out this, this job as program director at the bone. (laughs) It was sort of suggested to you, but obviously you, you must've had, you felt all the skills that it would take. I mean, I, I, listen, I'm not stepping up for that job. I I don't want to be in charge of other people. (laughs) I have a hard enough time just managing myself, but so, you know, I don't, I, I mean, how, tell everyone how that came to be. Well, that was actually, that was one thing that came into my life. Um, I I would almost say, dare to say, uninvited. Um, My (laughs) peers, my coworkers, uh, and specifically, I don't mind naming them, Lamont and Tonelli, they started calling me boss lady. And it was, it was sort of like, oh, whatever, you know, I always knock them around. That's part of my job. And so I would giggle about it for a week or two. And they were like, no, like you really should consider this. This is something that we think you'd be really great at. And I was like, you're insane. I've never been a PD. This is market for what in the world are you thinking about? Long story short, my general manager calls me up and he's like, why haven't you applied for this position? And I said, well, I am not sure I want it. Because I've had several program directors and that doesn't feel like a super inviting uh, chair to sit in because there has been some turnover for whatever reason. And at the time, I mean, I didn't know. I'm not sure I still know. And he gave me this incredible pep talk. I'm talking about Larry Bloomhagen, who is new, by the way. Mm -hmm. He had only been our general manager for three months. And he just said, you know, you could look at it that way, or you could look at it in a way that I am learning that is more your personality style is you can sit in that chair and you can change things. And when he said that, I was like, Oh snap, it's on. And so then he, he put up a challenge to me that I could change culture in that building in, in, in Cumulus. And, you know, I've had a really great experience at Cumulus, but there have been times in the past, it certainly is not this way now, it's wonderful now, but there have been times in the past where there are some hard things. And I thought, wow, what, what a great way to put my mark on this place to have a positive influence and to be that person for my peers and my coworkers and my employees. And so I, it really got me thinking about it. And so I went for it. And, and I'm really, honestly, Corey, I'm really glad I did now. At first, I was like, what did I get myself into as I'm eating information out of a fire hose? But right. now, uh, now I'm kind of getting the swing of things. Well, I mean, what, what is it about you that you think they saw – I mean, maybe even before you saw it yourself, was it just that? Yeah. I mean, because they wouldn't have come to you, I guess, unless it was clear that you're a leader. And that is perhaps maybe what they were looking for above everything else. 
And that that's the point that really got me, Corey, is because, um, you know, first of all, I found out later that some of my coworkers had sent letters, um, email, emails to corporate and, and to people up the chain saying you don't need to look anywhere else. Your person is right underneath your nose. So that got their attention. Um, and I think that was about respect that these people who, you know, Lamont Tinelli have been in this area for 32 years with killer yeah. ratings, huge success. And so the fact that they wanted this girl on their show to then be their boss, that obviously people are going to take notice of that. And so when I had a conversation with Troy Hansen, um, he is an incredible human being and I'm only getting yeah. to know, know him, but he, he said to me, you know, obviously these people respect you and I can teach you anything you don't know. Because I'm a no BS person. I have no time. I have no patience for BS. And so when he interviewed me, I just said, Troy, like the elephant in the room here is I'm, I'm not a PD. This is not my forte. I don't know how to do this thing and the other thing and whatever. And he right. said, no, but I'm looking for someone who knows people. And I'm looking for somebody who builds relationships and, um, you know, treats people well. I can teach you anything you need to know. I have faith that you can learn it. But what I can't teach you is what you already possess. And that's why I want to hire you. And to yeah. me, that is innovation. To me, I've never seen that be yeah. said in my 20 years in radio. Like I'm hiring you for the human that you are, not the skill set that you already possess. That's so interesting because, you know, okay, embarrassing uh, admission here. I remember watching um, a stupid reality TV show that followed around the interns of Glamour magazine and Joanna Coles, who is, is kind of like the Devil Wears Prada, although it wasn't yeah. necessarily based on her. I remember her saying to one of the um, interns that men are hired for promise and women are hired for experience. Yeah. And, and of course, this is a male-dominated industry, as many are, and so trying to get somebody to recognize that you have potential uh, above experience, and and you know, as women, we unfortunately knock ourselves down too. Like, you know, we're, we we feel like we have to be a hundred percent qualified for a job to go for it, whereas a man feels. Like, yeah, I'll just give it a shot. Like if I've got like 70, 60% of the qualifications. You're actually quoting an actual study. I know that you know that. Uh, there yeah. are studies and statistics about how men apply for jobs. And that is true. And I don't have it in front of me, but it somewhere lies in the 60, 70% range where a guy will yeah. just say, yeah, I'm good. And a woman has to be 100% and then some before she'll go for it. Um, but, uh, you know, a couple things that I took note of when they were interviewing me, they being corporate um, entities, if you will, <laughs> all the all the guys. Now, to your point, every person that I interviewed with was a male. Yeah. And it is a male-dominated industry. Um, and, again, in the past in this company, uh, it has been referred to as a boys club. And so when I'm interviewing with all these guys and they're talking to me about, you know, um, Lamont Tinelli and communicating with them and how has that worked in the past and how will that change as a program director and all these things. And then they start digging into who I am and my son and my life and my husband and my music center that we own and all these things. And they were focused on how are we going to balance your motherhood, your mm -hmm. work life balance coming from first off males, but also these guys that are, you know, up high in, in a corporation looking at me saying, we want to make sure that you have work-life balance. Like that meant a lot to me. And I'm all about the human level, right? Looking eye to eye and past all the, 
you know, levels of whatever in corporation, uh, just to look at somebody and go, I want to make sure that you can live your life with some sanity. Again, I thought I'm, I'm doing this in the right company with the right people. Right. You know, this right. is the time for me. And I, and I suppose that's the shift or, or at least, you know, maybe the onus is on us to try to shift the conversation a little bit. I can remember being in an interview in Seattle, actually, um, which is my hometown. And, you know, I was, I was unemployed for two years and seven months and, and going to interviews. And I would always ask them, you know, what are you looking for? And one program director said to me at the time, uh, he said, well, I'm looking for a man. And I, I just was so stunned, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, and, and somebody else, I think it was actually Angela Pirelli su- suggested that, you know, you turn the conversation, you say, well, what, what, qu- let's talk about what qualities you're looking for in a person, you know what I mean? That would fit this yeah. role instead of being shocked, but uh, you know. It, it is well, there have been time, yeah, but there have been times in the past for me and my, you know, some girls I know, friends of mine in the industry that this has happened to, where they go into take a job or work on a contract or whatever it is, and they get asked, "Well, what does your husband do? Or aren't you? Don't you have a fiance? What do they do?" Like meaning right. that, oh, well, they make enough. Yours is just you know tertiary money, and that is it's disgusting and unfair. Clearly, and I hope we're pulling out of that. Um, if not, we need to be quickly. Uh, but it, I feel like there is a turning point in the industry because that's just completely, I mean, it's disgusting. Right, right. Well, it's illegal, but what are you going to do? Are you going to like yeah, rat on somebody that you're trying to get a job with? I know. Right. I know. I know. But, but um, you know, the pandemic, it, it's just impacted every industry. And yeah. I was working for Cumulus, as you are uh, at the time. And, and I think, I don't even know, are you back in the uh, studios yet? Yes, I am. Yeah. I do. uh, Right now I'm back for several weeks as we're trying to figure out what everybody's doing where. um, And then it'll probably be more of a hybrid schedule just since I am doing three humans jobs. (laughs) Right. right, Exactly. Well, yeah, at least three, actually. Yeah, at least three. (laughs) At least three. You're 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 uh, you're, you know, underestimating yourself. Um, But, you know, the pandemic just affected everything, particularly drive time radio, which you know, radio stations are, are, they rise and fall on drive time as history says. But, um, I remember thinking at the time, you know, they were like, ah, just don't even worry about the ratings. Like they're going to throw them out that even, you know, uh, Nielsen and, and, uh, Arbitron have told us like that ah, they don't really matter whatever. And I was thinking at the time, this is the perfect opportunity for us to try different things. You know, we're not going back to normal anytime soon. And I don't know if, if you can say you've witnessed anybody doing anything really innovative or, or not, if it's happening in the big markets from the small markets. You know, I don't know that anybody's tried anything super different. I wouldn't say that they've necessarily tried anything different. What I will say is the acceptance of the inevitable is what has started to happen. Look, we all know that radio is going towards a certain path and podcasting and online content and social media and all of these things are a major inevitability. And so it we were going to have to, as a radio culture, accept that at some point. And the pandemic just hit the fast forward button. And so it became, okay. Well, people who don't like change (laughs) had no choice. And so we had to wrap our arms around things like smart speakers. uh, And we had to really push our listeners. You know, my my station is classic rock. And so um, a big portion of our listening audience is, you know, 40s to 50s, although 
amazingly enough, that has been changing recently into the hmm. 30s, which is very exciting. That's, a, that's <laughs> right? a goal of mine. But anyway, that's another topic. Um, you know, so we had to not only accept smart speakers, online streaming, and all of that as a real pillar of radio, terrestrial radio, but we also had to convince our listeners that that was the way of the world. And so it was getting creative with teaching some of our listeners how to use a smart speaker, you know, how to work it, where you can take it, get inventive about barbecuing it and where you put it and, hey, send me a picture of where it is and then, you know, text it into us. So it sort of was like holding our listeners' hands and going, okay, this is a weird path, but here we are and we're going to walk down it together. We're learning about how to take radio into different spaces. And to some people, especially the youngins, this is obviously easy, but it's not easy for everybody. And it wasn't the first thought for everyone. And so we were learning in real time together as an audience and as Bone staff. And and I really think being honest about that and saying like how strange it is and really focusing on the unification of it was really what helped us. Because honestly, Corey, you know, our drive times weren't as as affected as some other, um, you know, uh, radio stations, because we have a lot of blue collar workers in our yeah. audience. Our boneheads are typically construction workers, truck drivers, healthcare workers, delivery people, people who didn't have a choice uh, to go right. home, essential frontline people. And so, you know, really saying that out loud on the air and that unification, I think really, really helped us and became very strong. Uh, and then we also got really crafty and we're like, okay, what can we give away? What can we have fun with in this? And so we started giving away caseloads of toilet paper and yeah. you know, s- sending out our boneheads to find toilet paper who were delivery truck drivers or whatever, getting it to us and then giving it out. So it was really this beautiful, unified family moment that we built with our audience. Yeah, you know, I think it was like two weeks before Cumulus shut down and really, you know, two and a half weeks before the rest of the country shut down that uh, I remember I went out to have margaritas and I saw somebody post on Facebook about these N95 masks. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. What's that? So after a couple of drinks, I decided to go to Home Depot and Lowe's and they had completely sold out. And um, I was texting my boss and my APD and like freaking out. They just thought I was nuts, which I yeah. am. But, yeah. but I'm like, no, it's coming. We need masks. We need all this stuff. You know, we can do something with this. But, but to that point, I, you know, my, our listeners are, you know, we're, we're doing great with the 3554 too, which is yeah. not what, um, you know, national likes to sell, which advertising yeah. agencies still love the 2554. But we know that CHR, you know, top 40, they're having a hell of a time because the innovation, you know, I I don't know anybody. I don't even know where, I mean, maybe you could buy a radio these days, but yeah, I listen to streaming on my smart speaker or um, on my laptop or, you know, via my phone. Um, And, you know, newspapers innovated with audio and in some cases video, local TV is innovating with social media. And I, no, you know, because I have a smart TV only that the major networks are streaming their content. You know, it's, it's not just cable TV. Social media is innovating by creating radio stations. You know, the new TikTok channel on Sirius XM. I know, you know, Kat Haley, she got her job because during the pandemic, she built up almost a hundred thousand followers on, yeah. um, actually I think she has almost a million now on, on TikTok, and she just got a job hosting on uh, the TikTok channel there. But you know, I don't know that radio is, is doing enough. I'm constantly pushing, you know, I know it doesn't necessarily impact our ratings 
you know, but let's stream something, you know, I'll do a live happy hour show, which is something I was doing during the pandemic, the entire pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I'm like, you know, radio still just kind of seems to have its heels dug in. So I don't know. I mean, what ways do you think that we can successfully innovate? Whereas we're not just like putting our, our show, chopping it up and putting it, calling it a podcast and throwing it up there. Nobody's listening to that. I mean, yeah. Well, I think it does go back to acceptance and it also goes back to looking past ratings. So it, accepting meaning that we're going to have to move forward. Terrestrial radio is going to change. And if you're not on that train, you're going to you're going to get lost. And so you have to be able to be a little bit nimble about that. And also understand that, you know, a podcast, if you're reusing the content from your show, okay, fine. That's great. That's, I guess, technically a podcast, but it's going to have to be something extra in and oftentimes the most successful are when you feel like the listeners feel like they're looking behind the curtain. So if you can do something that really gives them like a peek, so they feel like they're part of something. And I always, this is not innovative. This is almost going backwards in some ways, but people on social media all the time are about building audience and likes and like, you know, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But to me, it's, it's that micro influencer, I think is where the real power is. And I do that not just on social media, commenting back or having these great, you know, direct message conversations. I actually believe in the power of laugh if you want, but the text lines, I mean, I am amazed what people will give me. It's like a focus group all the time on the text lines about what we're talking about, what we're playing, what we should be playing. Have you heard this? Band. What's, I mean, it is incredible and it's untapped because people just think, oh, this is, you know, whoever's texting in. Um, but there is real value in that. So I think spending time more um, with who's there, who's in the room. There was this great uh, conversation I had one time with somebody who said, it's like having Thanksgiving dinner and running outside and inviting everyone in to have a bigger Thanksgiving than rather than be with the people that you've invited and that are your loved ones. You know, you need to focus on the people that are in the room and already care about you and they will go out and do that harder work for you to build it. You can't just run out in the street and to yell at everybody to come in. Um, And that has always resonated with me is like actually giving a crap about your listeners. Like really, I have listeners that reach out to me all the time about, you know, their family problems, their cancer diagnosed. They say, they ask me for prayer because they truly feel like I'm their friend, even if I've never met them. And yeah. that is because I'm genuine because I really do. I do care about these people. And to me, radio and the magic of it is connection. And if we can go back to that, which again is not innovative, this is going back to real and genuine um, then I think that's where we win. And, and if we can take that into whatever's next for radio, then we will win every time. Uh, amen to that. I mean, connecting in whatever way on whatever platform, you know, go where your listeners are. Um, exactly. As Gary fish says, where the fish you know. are. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I know that we're, we're going to run a little bit long here, but I just, I, I, you know, so I'll just, I'll kind of wrap it up. I think with this, you know, for anybody that wants longevity in radio, including myself, you know, I was out for two years and seven months um, between, I don't know, 2016 and, and 2019 when I landed in Atlanta. And, you know, it's, it's only getting tougher and tougher. So what skills, whether it be social media, their own podcast, you know, if somebody wants back in radio, what skills should they be honing to get in the game and stay in the game with consolidation and syndication and Mm -hmm. spoken hub programming and voice tracking? You know, what kind of advice do you have for 
me and everybody else out there. Well, I mean, Corey, I think you already do this, but um, I would say what has really benefited me was starting in a smaller market because in smaller markets, there are no budgets. And so you end up doing everything in the building. You know, you learn how to do every single piece of it. And I, and I did that not for choice, but I went from Oklahoma City then to Los Angeles. That's a really big jump in radio. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I have done everything literally now that I'm PD, everything in the building except being general manager, I think at this point, I've even sold. Um, you know, so I think if you can just acquire all skills, um, it, you know, and be nimble and be ready to bend, never, 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 ever have an ego. That is what I have built my whole career on. I don't believe in the BS. When somebody tells me I'm great, by God, thank you so much. I'm glad you think so, but I do not believe that at at all. I think that I am here doing a job that I'm very, very grateful for and very, very passionate about. And people connect with me because they know I love my job and I love connecting with them. And that's what it's all about. So if you keep yourself humble and you keep yourself passionate and you go for the gusto, nothing's going to get in your way, you know, and just keep learning your skills. Yeah. Don't take, don't take no for an answer. Yes, exactly. No, no, there's always a way. I mean, that's, I'm not, this is, I am on the wrong podcast. I'm not an innovator. I go back to old cliches, you know, no, no, stop, stop, stop. I'm actually going to interrupt you because you said something Shasta, you said connection, companionship. I'm going back. It's old school. It's unfortunate that we can have this conversation, but I am going to interrupt because I just can't contain myself. We, this, this, thing you're talking about companionship connection those are innovations because we've let it slip away amen so i'm sorry so bringing that back into the tent is an innovation and you are to be blessed for saying it out loud thank you (laughs) amen Amen. Amen. Well, you know, I know that uh, you can track down Chasta, you know, at ChastaLynn.com and just about everywhere on social media. And I hope you do because she's a great follow and she's like just killing it in San Francisco of all places. It's amazing. So hopefully we'll get to meet in real life one of these days, Chasta. I know. I hope so too. (laughs) And real quick, I have to say thank you to Corey. For those of you who don't know, Corey spends a lot of her uh, her precious time connecting people, especially women in the industry, helping people find jobs and send resumes and connect and network and all that stuff. And you do the Lord's work. So thank you for doing well, that. Well, you know, cause I, I've been there, you know, and it's, it's yeah. not easy. It's just, yeah. and for anybody that actually wants it, who reaches out to me and who actually wants it, they'll go after it. You know, I mean, I just sort Amen. of make an in- introduction. Yeah. And thank you, Lloyd, so much for having me. I really, I feel blessed to be in this conversation, but I do have to mention real quick, last thing, you could not have picked a different person, like a further away person from Patrick. (laughs) When you said mathematics is a universal language, I'm like, no, it's not, because I don't speak that language. (laughs) I've always said that music is the universal language. So Patrick, (laughs) lovely to hear you speak. You are brilliant. And I feel um, um, smarter just listening to you talk. So thank you. Well, I just want Corey, to say that um, music yeah. and mathematics are synonyms. They're not different. That's Thank true. You. That is true. 
Thank so you, I do thank know a you. little bit of math. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm going to bring everybody even closer together here in just a second as we sum things up. I want to thank Corey and Chastin. Look, these are two women that are strong. They're very amazing personalities and great talents and also great human beings. They're working in major U.S. markets in California. And this is not a mystery. They're bringing major value to their employers, their companies, their markets, their community, and their advertisers. I'm grateful to hang out with both of you on this live event. Not that Chasta and Patrick, both very smart guests. Did you notice this? They both talked a lot about humanity tonight. People are the key to the future. That may get lost in some of the fear about innovation or big data or AI, which we learned is the same thing tonight. So we're learning things on innovation and audio. When you show up here for one of our live events, we do like to ask that, that look, like our group, the encouragers here on the Clubhouse app, share it with others who love innovation or audio. Don't forget that the people on stage during this event tonight, please follow them, look around the room, connect with some other people. There's some cool people in this room. We are big believers in connection and mentoring and networking on the encouragers. Thank you for being here and participating in these live events and telling others. We are going to open up our room for just a few minutes in case you have some questions for our guest right now. Just push the button at the bottom of your iPhone or Android device to raise your hand. It's a little hand down there. It looks like it's got a notepad. I know it's supposed to be a, a, a smartphone. I, I think they should update the visual for that maybe. But look, we, we'll bring you up on the stage if you want to. And we ask that you mute your mic until we call on you. By the way. When you join the encouragers, we, we have people who come only to listen. That's okay with us. Our goal is to provide you with interesting content, great guest advice, career hacks to move your career forward and to encourage you. But we don't mind sharing the stage with you if you are so inclined. So we do like to extend the offer each Wednesday. Don't feel pressured to talk. This is a safe place for everybody. Also, don't forget that Monday you can join us at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the race. Radio rally right here on Clubhouse with the Encouragers. Of course, Monday, October 18th, we have Mike Biddle, who is the program director and afternoon host of 94.7 QDR, Curtis Media Group in Raleigh, North Carolina. They are pulling down major revenue over there. Maybe we'll have a little conversation about that, see if you can get in on that. Tell your friends uh, in innovation, in audio, and specifically in radio that they can get our free resources at RainmakerPathway.com in our free blog section. If you got a problem in your market and you need 21st century solutions for that problem, uh, please email the people who are engaged in that for a free and confidential consultation. You can hit me at FORD at RainmakerPathway.com, FORD at RainmakerPathway.com. I'm going to drop this last little treat in here and say that the world is smaller than you think. It is not larger than you think. I do have a quick question for Patrick. I want to know, Patrick, do you find the best innovators are also good at making things seem simple for others, or is it all just as complex as Corey and Chasta and I think it is? Um, I think mm, communication, making things appear simple to a non-expert audience is an extra skill. Um, it's, it's very good to have. It's a, it's a very important skill, but I definitely do know innovators who are very, very good at innovating stuff who don't have that skill, unfortunately. 
Interesting, interesting. So if you're on one of these big teams, Patrick, one of your roles is to try to maybe be that person, right, who can help smooth that out? One of my jobs is definitely to translate. Yeah, mm. uh, technical mm. speak to human speak and backwards. That's that's definitely a, a, an important role in the team. I got to say, you've done a very excellent job at doing that tonight. Chasta, look, I got a simple question for you. Is yeah. there anything that you are afraid of? <laughs> clowns. I mean, <laughs> clowns. Because, look, I, I want to make this point because you two, and I'm specifically talking about Corey and Chasta right now, it's so amazing that I have been able to, through my BS, engineer the two of you on the same live event. I am trying to shake the ground in every way that I can with clients, with radio personalities across the U.S. and and in television, too that look, the old days are gone. You have to use your creativity and your skill and, and, and what makes you special in these social media channels and do something spectacular. Y'all mentioned it tonight where you said, hey, don't be just regurgitating your show. There's got to be some value you're adding somewhere. So I applaud both of you, Corey and Chasta. You look at your social media channels. You are doing things. Mm-hmm. And and Chasta, you you're frightening. You're on TV. <laughs> I mean, you got the podcast thing going. I mean, you know, you can downplay it if you want to, but you you are frightening, girlfriend. Up well, there in San I, Francisco, crushing. I I sincerely appreciate that. And I mean, here's the truth of the matter: is I am a very self confident uh, woman, but I have not always been that way. And I have oh, learned. Really? And I yeah, I mean. Working in a male-dominated industry for two decades, you know, two decades ago, it wasn't what it is now. And I'm sure Corey will attest to that. Um, And so, you know, about halfway through my career, I had this opportunity to work with two guys who have real reputations in the industry as being, you know, wild and crazy and out there. And, oh, my Mm -hmm. God. I mean, when I got that job, people called me and said, how are you going to do this? And I thought to myself, I have no idea. But I was never going to admit that to anybody. Um, And I thought... You know what? My job is to pull these boys back from 11, and that's what I'm going to do. I have one brother, all male cousins, and I've always had boy best friends. I got this. And so I just Mm. went in there and kept telling myself, I got this. Now, this may not be appropriate to say, so please excuse me. We don't do appropriate. We do everything. (laughs) So bring it up. I have a uh, post-it note where I wrote, you are a badass bitch. And I have it. <laughs> it's my first thing yeah, I see every girlfriend. day. When I put on my makeup, that's the first thing I see. And it may not be appropriate, but it's a reminder that I've always got this. And if I don't believe in myself, nobody else will. Please tell your friends that we had a real badass bitch on this show tonight. <laughs> I think it's so... It's so important that people understand what's going on here in innovation and audio. Badasses need apply, right? I love so hearing look, you say that, Lloyd. <laughs> I know, right? Listen, we, we do try to keep things to about an hour. Our thanks to Patrick and Chasta. Y'all are awesome for being patient and giving guests on this live event. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast, which will be available. Man, this guy is so fast at turning this podcast around. I can't even get my stuff done before he's already doing it. So it's going to be available rapidly after this broadcast is over. So I, I just want to thank JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. We are here to shake things up and go, hey, 
anybody can do innovation. Let's go all in and let's do it. You heard some of the things tonight. We're you know, we're talking about radio and how it needs to innovate. And I'm like, okay, that's one of the reasons we have innovation and audio. And we invite people like Patrick on board to go, Hey, knuckleheads, that right there is innovation. You can see it. That's what it looks like. Let's get some, right? So listen, please do share our podcast. We have two, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, and the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast with others that you know are interested in growing their careers in audio. Both podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, Audible, and wherever you get your podcast. Please remember this. Be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of Innovation and Audio with the Encouragers, and good night.